Exodus chapter 20. We are in the ninth commandment today, and just to give you a little heads up here, uh, first of all, we've been doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and uh, so if we're in the ninth commandment, uh, how many sermons has that been? Pop quiz? Wrong, actually. (laughs) That's a trick question. I had an opening sermon for the series. I got you. We've got, uh, we've got one more sermon left, though. And, uh, and then we're going to move on into a new series. We're going to go through the book of Exodus together. So the idea was we're going to look at the Ten Commandments and break it down. And then this fall, we're going to look at the entire book of Exodus and take the entire fall and just walk through the story of uh, salvation out of slavery. And uh, I look forward to doing that with you. I think it's going to be a good fall together. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what God will do as He uh, even releases some of us from, from slavery. Uh, so let's, let's dive in right now to the ninth commandment. Verse 16, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The ninth commandment in the Decalogue. Let's pray and let's dive into it. Father, we do ask that you help us to understand the uh, ninth commandment here and its importance in our life. Help us to understand that it is grace to us that we are to be a people who live lives of honesty and transparency with one another. But God, help us to not just simply try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. Help us to see Jesus this morning who is truth. Who is our only truth. Our hope. And in Him we find life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Bible there is this story of a king and his royal affair. It's found in 2 Samuel. Many of us know the story. I just referred to the story last week, I believe. It's the story of a man named King David and a woman named Bathsheba. Now the setting is this. It was a season in which the kings would go out to war, which meant David was supposed to be where? At war. Instead of David being with his troops at war, David is home in the palace. One evening, David walks to the window and he looks across and he sees a woman bathing. The Bible simply says, and the woman was very beautiful. David inquired about the lady. Who is she? What's her name? What's her story? He found out that she is married to a man named Uriah. Uriah was out to war. One of his soldiers fighting for his king and his God. David had the woman brought to him. Bathsheba was brought to David and David took Bathsheba into his bed. And the lies and the deception began. But there was a problem. Shortly thereafter, word comes back from Bathsheba to David I'm pregnant. 
It certainly wasn't her husband's baby. Her husband is off to war. Lies and deception. This can't be. What would everyone think if the king is shown to have had an affair with the, with the wife of one of his soldiers? Deception plan A. David calls for Uriah to come home from the front. Uriah comes home. He comes to the, uh, the palace where David is. He comes to his king. David says, I want you to spend, spend some time here. Spend a night. Go home to be with your wife. Well, we can see, at least those of us that are thinking right now, we can see what David is about to do. We can see his strategy, his deception plan. Let's make it look like it was his baby and not mine. Nobody will ever have to know. Well, Uriah sleeps that night outside. He refuses to go to his wife. The next morning, the frustrated king asks why, and Uriah says, how can I? How can I? We are at war. Oh, little did he know that David felt that he could. Deception plan B. David says, come on over, let's, let's, let's eat tonight. Let's feast. And David gets Uriah drunk. This will work. A little social lubricant, if you would. Now go home. Be with your wife. Again, Uriah sleeps outside of the house on the mat. Refuses to enjoy his wife while his brothers cannot enjoy their wives. Deception plan C. Kill him. Uriah is sent back by the king to the front and a, a sealed letter goes with Uriah and in the, the letter reads careful instructions on how to exactly put Uriah on the front, withdraw from him, and let him die. Uriah is now dead. David takes Bathsheba the mourning, grieving wife into his palace and says, I'll take care of you. And makes Bathsheba his wife. Comes out, of course, that she's pregnant. Everybody seems fine with that. It's, it's over. It's done. It's in the past. Let's just forget about it. That was bad. It was a mistake. It's been taken care of. Everybody is deceived. Let's just put it behind us. Deception. Lies. This morning we come to the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, which encompasses every kind of lying. Every kind of false witness. From the formal courtroom, being truthful as you sit as a witness in the courtroom, to the person who's, who's tempted to spread gossip, to spread lies about somebody, or just simply the person who wants to slander. I saw this person. Do you know what I saw them doing? Spreading words of deceit. Words of slander. Or, of course, 
outright lying. There's an old Russian proverb that says, with lies you may get ahead in the world, but you can never go back. You can never go back. And I wonder if that's what David was feeling in that moment. I can maybe get along now. I can, I can move ahead with my life. But you can never go back. You can never be truly honest with yourself and with others. God has created humans to live lives of honesty and transparency. To tell the truth. Why is it that when someone tells you something, you actually want to believe them? Why is it that even when you think they might be lying, you really want to believe them? Why is it that when you found out that someone has deceived you, it is so heart-wrenching? It's because we are created to be people of truth, who hear and receive truth, who deliver truth. We're to be people of honesty, <coughs> excuse me, and transparency. So what happened? How did we spiral? Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that you can't eat of any fruit in the garden? Did God really? Satan began to deceive. Satan began to lie. God wants to keep you from something. God doesn't want you to be like Him. God's Word cannot be trusted. God wants to keep something back from you. Something good that would be helpful for you. He doesn't want you to have it. God cannot be trusted. God does not really love you. That was really the first lie, wasn't it? The lie in the garden. God doesn't love you. God cannot be trusted. And friends, I would say that that's the lie that we still believe today. That God does not love us. That God cannot be trusted. As the story of the Bible progresses, we see Cain kill his brother and then enter into deception. As the story progresses, we see the people of Israel Promise to God, I swear we will do everything that you have commanded, only then to turn to idols. Lying. Deception. As the story progresses, it seems that the, the less we trust God, the more we lie and deceive to each other. The more we don't believe that God actually is a good, kind, loving God, the more we cover up and, and hide from each other. It gets to the point where we have spiraled to such a degree that when God Himself came into this world, alright, think of this. The Word of God, John 1, the Word of truth became flesh and lived among us. So truth, God Himself, the true God, entered into our world. And He was rejected. The world came face to face with truth and we couldn't handle it. We came face to face with God and we rejected Him. 
Jesus was then rejected. He was despised. He was afflicted. He was put to death. And as He lie in the grave, questions abound. Have the liars won? Will we forever live in a world of deception and lies? Has the only word of truth been forever shut up? And as we look at the world around us, we might think that the answer is yes. Hope is indeed lost. Think of the world that we live in. Let me give you some, some pictures here. One out of three people lie on their resumes. That means one out of three people probably got a job that they shouldn't have gotten. All right? 80%, 80%, 8 out of 10 people. Which, by the way, statistically, I, by the way, statistically, I think 80% of the country identifies themselves as Christian. 80% of people admit that they would twist the truth as long as they don't find it to be harmful. One out of two employees have lied to their employer. Six out of ten people admit that in a ten-minute conversation, they'll lie to you. Six, that's the majority. Right? So the majority of people, if you have a conversation with them, you get them talking for ten minutes, at some point, they're going to tell you something that's not true. One defendant said, my attorney is going to hate me. I decided to tell the truth. We live in a world of deception, a world of lies, a, a world in which lying is, is normal. It's, if, if you can cover it up, if you can get beyond it, <coughs> excuse me, I'm trying to get over a cold. My wife, my wife told me that we're going to have to do a lot of editing if we put this sermon online with all of this coughing. Excuse me. Think about the ramifications of lying in society. Society is built on trust. If we don't have trust, we don't have a society that can be sustained. If you've ever appeared as a witness in a courtroom, what is it, what's the first thing that you must agree to? I will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So, witnesses lie. No justice. Governments that lie cannot be trusted. False religion that lies to you cannot be trusted. A religion that says you must appear better than you actually are cannot be a religion that is trusted. I tell my interns, every time I get a new batch of interns, I say, look, you can mess up. You can do something really stupid. I, 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 I'm assuming that you probably will. You can mess up. But don't ever lie to me. Don't ever lie to me. Now, why would I say that? And I say that to my kids too. Why would we tell our, our, our kids that? It's because as soon as somebody lies to you, it's, it's, it's done. Trust is broken. 
Like, it's hard to keep moving forward in any kind of meaningful, helpful relationship if we're just lying to each other. Now, this isn't to say that a relationship with your child can't be repaired, but it's to say it can only be repaired when truth comes back into the picture. When honesty and transparency once again prevail, now we can begin to repair. So forget our own reasoning for a second. Let's, let's look into the Word. What does God think of lying? We can easily sort of agree that lying is bad. Alright? But what does God think of lying? Let me, let me just go through a quick uh, summary of, of biblical, uh, a biblical picture here for you of what God thinks of lying. Job chapter 13, verse 4. Forgers of lies, God says, are people who have no value. Psalm chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. God blesses those who tell the truth. Psalm 58. The wicked speak lies. Psalm 119, 69. The proud are liars. Proverbs 10, verse 18. The one who hides hatred with lies. And the one who slanders is a fool. Proverbs 26, 28. Those who lie hate those who are hurt by their lies. Let that sit with you for a minute. Those who lie actually hate those who are hurt by their lies. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4. We cannot trust lying words. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14, false prophets are called liars. Hosea chapter 10, the rebellion of Israel here in Hosea chapter 10 is, is the result of a nation who is eating the fruit of lies. Nahum chapter 3, verse 1, God's people are cursed because the city is full of lies. Let's summarize it. What does God think of lying? Lying is for fools. Lying destroys trust. Lying destroys relationships. Lying is, 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 a, is a symbol of the wicked. Lying is completely contrary to the heart and the nature of who God is. Lying empties an individual of anything that is valuable. Lying incurs the wrath of God. Now, think of this. Knowing what God thinks of lying and knowing the fact that we are still liars today. Wow, God is gracious to us. The reality is that God spoke His truth into the world of liars. God came in the flesh into a world of deceit. This should only elevate in our minds the goodness of God's grace. I think we are liars. I think churches are, are filled with liars. I think there are probably liars in this room. Christians who act better than they actually are. Just simply to make others think that they are holier 
than thou. Christians who refuse to ever admit anything embarrassing about themselves because they have to maintain this, this, this image, this picture of godliness. Christians who refuse to be transparent and real with each other. What would it look like if we demonstrated God's hatred for deception in our church? What would it look like if we came together and we said, you know, we are going to be our real selves with each other. We are not going to lie to each other. This is a place of honesty, a place of truth, a place of transparency. How would this drive us into deeper community with each other? Now, I am almost convinced that the reality is is that we have all lied. Everybody in this room has at some point lied. And I'm going to go so far as to believe that there are some people here who really struggle with lying. There are some people in this room that really struggle with it. Now, here's one thing that I've learned from from, uh, counseling liars and from having interactions with liars. Nobody who's a liar really is happy about the fact that they're a liar. Nobody really likes the fact. Nobody takes delight in the fact that they're living a life of deception. No, as a matter of fact, they feel chained to it. It's a slavery. And friends, what I want you to know is that God wants to free you this morning. God wants to take off the chains. He wants to release you from this bondage so that you might live a life of freedom. I don't want to just simply tell you what God thinks of lying this morning. I want you to have hope this morning. I want today, the next few minutes, to be hope for liars. And that's because God wants you to have hope this morning. The Bible is a book for sinners. It's a book not just simply of condemnation. It's a book of hope for sinners. The Bible is a book of hope for liars. And for those of us who are liars this morning, I pray that we find hope. First, where does lying come from? Turn to Matthew 15 with me. Matthew chapter 15. And as you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Who taught you how to lie? Does anybody remember? Like, was it your mom? When you got to school, like, first day of kindergarten? Alright, children, we're gonna talk about something new today. You don't know anything about this, but it's called lying. Alright? You know, your dad sits you on your knee, we're gonna have a talk. It's time that you learn about lying. Right? Nobody ever taught you how to lie. No, we are born little liars. I mean, as soon as we can talk, we speak lies. Right? Some of you have a a little child and you know exactly what I mean. Did you go in your diaper? No. Yes, you did. (laughs) Right? It's just, we're, we're built liars. We're, by nature, we, we learn that we can use words and we can manipulate others and we can deceive to get what we want. 
We are these little manipulative, cute, but manipulative creatures. Deceptive. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Verse 19, where does it come from? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft. Look at these next two words. False witness and slander. Ninth commandment. Where does lying first come from? Lying is rooted in the heart. It's rooted in the heart. It's rooted in the disposition of our wicked, depraved hearts. We are born sinners. And we are born with hearts that are turned toward lying. What this means is that it's not simply external circumstances that cause us to lie. I mean, there are some external situations that might really tempt us to lie, right? But it's not the external that's the issue. It's the internal. We lie because of the the, the, the position of our heart. Nothing causes us to lie. We lie because of what is inside of us. We lie because at our core, humans are broken beings. And friends, even with the miracle of regeneration, we have been made new, yet even as new creatures, we still have these sin-tainted hearts. Now check this out. The Holy Spirit still decides to live in us. What grace that is. He won't leave us. He's going to continue to work with us. He's going to continue to sanctify us. But we have hearts that are prone toward lying. So where does lying come from first? It's rooted in the heart. We can't just simply wash the outside of the cup and hope that the inside will be clean. This is why as a church, we can't just simply focus on external actions. Even lying itself. But we have to get to the heart. We have to peel back the layers and see what's going on in the heart. What a wonderful question it would be when you get together with somebody from the church to ask them, instead of, how are you doing? Ask them, how is your heart? How is your heart? How is your soul? Remember a couple years ago, somebody asked me, how is your soul? And I was like, oh, like I almost started crying. Like, where do I even begin? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? How is your heart? It's rooted in the heart. Secondly, it's rooted in idolatry of self. Lying is rooted in the fact that we idolize ourselves. Psalm chapter 119, verse 69, we see that liars are called proud people. It is pride that causes us or leads us to lies. I was a band, I was in a band in college. And few years after college, I remember talking to a new friend about my band that I was in. Now the reality is, my band in college was pretty bad. We just weren't all that great. We weren't, I, we weren't bad. We were just very mediocre. Alright? I'm trying to be as honest as possible right now. We had four uh, die-hard Teenage girls as fans. Four of them. We uh, put a, uh, put a, uh, a, a four-song demo together. 
And it was like the most terrible recording you can imagine. It was at the time I thought it was awesome. I don't think I have a copy anywhere in my house. I just can't listen to it. We drove once about three hours to do a show in Fort Lauderdale and and we played we played uh at this little place and nobody really listened to us. Now, when I was talking about my band a couple years later, I said, yeah, I was in a band. We had cut an album, cut a CD. We toured. We had girls that were screaming at our shows. Now, all of that is kind of true, all right? These four girls did scream at one show, okay? Oh, we did travel once. We did cut it. It was all kind of true, but I was very deceptive, wasn't I? Now, why do we do that? And I'm assuming that you're not laughing at me. I'm assuming you're laughing with me. Because we, (laughs) I'm hoping we do that. Why is it that we love to look back on the past and make it look a little better than it actually was? Alright? It took you 20 minutes to walk to church today, and you told somebody it took you 15 minutes because for some reason, you think that that makes you look a little bit better, even though they don't care that it took you 20 minutes. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we, we tweak things, and we, we change things just a little bit. Why is it that we do this? We do it because we think that it makes us look a smidge better. Right? And that is slavery. We do it because we idolize ourselves. It's because we want to be seen in a certain way and we know that we will never really be as good as the image we want to portray. And so we deceive and we lie and we present ourselves as a person who we really aren't. Friends, God wants to free you today of your idolatry of self of your pride and free you to, 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 to be honest and transparent. It's rooted in the heart. It's rooted in idolatry of self. Thirdly, it's rooted in our fear of man. Why was it that King David deceived others? It's because he was more concerned about what others thought of him than what God thought. Fear of man. You know, you have a, a throne in your heart And whoever sits on that throne is the person or the being that you need to please. Whoever sits on the throne in your heart is the one whom you need approval from. Now, if you put yourself in that throne, you're going to be lying all of the time, blowing up stories, things, you know, maybe stuff like uh, talking about the band that you never really had or or lying about some situation that you're going through right now because you have to please yourself. You are sitting on the throne and you have to have your own approval. You will even lie to yourself. You'll say, you know what, I can forget that that ever happened. And I'm going to tell myself a different story of who I am. And we lie. If you put another human being on that throne, you are now on an endless cycle of trying to please people trying to find people's approval. You walk out of your front door and there's another human being walking by and another person now that you have to find approval of. Win their approval. Please them. 
But friends, if you place Christ on that throne, if Christ sits on the throne of your heart, everything changes. The being who you must please. The being from whom you need approval is a being that knows everything about you. You can't hide anything from Him. And if He's sitting on the highest throne in your life, the fear of man just crumbles. And you want to please Him. You want His approval. Therefore, you want honesty and transparency. It's rooted also in believing the lie of Satan. Remember, Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God cannot be trusted. That God did not really love them. And that's why we lie today. That's why we struggle with deception today. Is because we are a people who for thousands and thousands of years have been believing this lie of Satan. That God's love is not enough. That God is not enough. That He cannot be trusted. Why is it that we need each other? Why is it that I need you and that you need me? Why is it that you need the people that are sitting near you? It's because we need to remind each other of truth. We need to go on the offense, on the attack, and remind each other of the fact that the lie that we have believed for two or for thousands of years, that God is not enough for us, that that's a lie. We need to be reminded of the truth. That's why we come to sit under the means of grace. That's why we come to hear the Word of God week after week preached so that we might be reminded of the truth. Whenever you're sitting with a friend and they confess a sin to you, what do you do? Here's what you do. You go on the offense and you attack the lie that Satan wants them to believe. And you speak to them the truth of who Jesus is. And you remind them of who God is and the fact that God is enough for them and that God is indeed love. So where is the hope for liars? How can we change? How might we be freed from this? How might we live lives of transparency? We have believed this lie for too long. When Cain killed Abel, he was simply believing the lie that, that the Word of God is not trustworthy. When Israel would turn their back on God, they simply bought the lie that God did not really love them. And they needed to find other gods. And when Christ comes into the world, there He is, the Word of truth in the flesh. And the world rejects Him despises Him, puts Him on a cross, kills Him, buries Him in the ground. The question we must ask is this, is truth forever lost? Is truth forever gone? But on a Sunday morning, His disciples went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty and they realized that truth had indeed prevailed. Remember Peter? As Jesus was heading to the cross, Peter was asked, hey, don't, don't you know this guy? What did Peter do? You remember? As Jesus was being beaten, like 
His, his, his life was coming to an end. One of his closest friends was asked, aren't you one of his? And he did what? He lied. He lied not once, but he lied three times. And Christ Himself told him he was going to do this. Jesus goes through death. He comes out the other side, risen from the dead, and Peter comes face to face with truth risen from the dead. You might remember how Peter tried to run. How Peter tried to hide. This is what liars do. Jesus wouldn't let him hide. Jesus wouldn't let him run. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. He asked him three times, I want the truth and nothing but the truth. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. Feed them what? Feed them truth. Tell them the truth. There before truth ascended, before Christ ascended to be with the Father, He gave the Great Commission. Go into all the world and do what? And speak truth. The truth of who God is. This liberating, radical, freeing truth that Christ died for your sins and is risen from the dead and sits on the throne of your heart. And He has affirmed you. He is pleased with you because of His work. God delights in truth. We close going back to the story of David and Bathsheba. Their deception and lies, they, they, they're taking place. Uriah is dead. David embraces this deception as he brings Bathsheba into his home and marries her and says, we're just basically going to deceive everybody from here on out, including the little baby. Then there's a, there's a man named Samuel who comes along in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. He's a prophet. Samuel comes to David and, and he says, you know, let me tell you a story. There, there, there was... There was this man who was wealthy and he had a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of sheep. There's a poor man who had one, one little lamb. He loved this lamb. The rich man had a friend over for dinner, a stranger. He didn't want to kill one of his own lambs. And so he went over to the poor man's field and he stole the poor man's lamb. And he killed that one. David was outraged when he heard this. What a great injustice. And then Samuel looks at David. You know the story. And he says, he says, that man is you. You see, David thought that he had deceived everyone. David thought that his lies were enough. He thought that he could maybe just get on with life this life of deception. But friends, God knew. God knew and it was revealed to him. It was revealed to, uh, to, to Nathan. And Nathan revealed it to David. And now David, what does he do? He's backed into the corner. 
The curse is coming. Now everybody is going to know. What are people going to think of me? My reputation is spoiled. I've killed a man. I've taken his wife. This is really, really bad. I love verse 13 in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me actually turn there and read it to you. Verse 13. This is, this is what David says after the world has literally just, just fallen down around him. The, the ceiling of hope has crashed down. And he sees a new hope here in verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You see what just happened there? David tells the truth. God has exposed His deception and David says the truth. I've sinned against the Lord. And immediately, the word of the prophet comes. The Lord has forgiven your sin. Friends, why is it that God wants us to be people of honesty and transparency? It's because God is a God that loves to forgive sins. God is a God that loves for us to recognize the fact that we are sinners and to confess our sins to one another and to confess our sins to Him and to shower us in the forgiveness of sins. When we have a God like this, why is it that we would put anyone else above Him? Why is it that we would fear someone else, what they think of us, and then cause us to lie and therefore sin against God? Why is it that we would consider more what 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 uh, what what people think of our own reputation as opposed to what God thinks of us. When we have a God like this, David's response, he wrote Psalm 119 where he said, remove me from the way of lying. Psalm 120 where he said, deliver me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Satan saw when he came face to face with God that he was freed from this way of lying. He was freed from this, these lying lips and this deceitful tongue by the work of God. You see, you lie because you can't forgive yourself. And you don't think anyone else can forgive you. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Confess your sins and He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness knowing that there is no sin that God does not forgive in the believer's life. It frees you to be a person of truth. It frees you to be able to ask tough questions of others and to hear their answers and to receive truth. It frees you to be gracious towards those who are refusing to lie and they're telling you finally the truth. It frees you to tell embarrassing things about yourself. Because God has validated you. You lie because the most important being in your life is a fellow human. And their opinion is what matters most. The Gospel says that God 
accepts you in Christ. And His opinion is what matters most. Christians are a people who just simply don't need to lie. We can, we're, we're freed from it. We can stop lying. Friends, what is one way that you might engage someone else this week in transparency? What is one way that you might engage another person in this church in honesty? Ask a tough question. Give a tough answer. How might you create a culture in your own marriage of truth-telling? How might you tell your spouse, look, this is a, this is a culture of grace. You can mess up, but just don't lie to me. How can we do this with our children? Singles, how can we do this with our friends and even with roommates? How can we do this as a church? How can we have a culture of, of honesty and transparency? I'll tell you how. It's, being a, it's, it's having a culture of grace. It's being a people who understand the grace of God. And friends, since when was God's Word proven a lie? Since when has God proven to be unfaithful in your life? Who is it that is sitting on the throne in your heart? Let's continue to talk through these things as a church. Let's build one another up in honesty and transparency. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time that we could enter into the ninth commandment, Your Word. We ask that You continue to move in us, equip us, strengthen us, that we might become a people of transparency and honesty, that we might tell the truth and therefore be salt and light in a dark world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.